Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Linux in the Hamshack. We're finally back after over a month of being away, but we are here to present to you episode number one hundred and fifty-seven of our program. And uh, as it has been for the last many episodes, you have me, Russ K five Tux, and we also have Cheryl, who's sitting across from me. Sickly. Sickly. Yes, I'm sickly. All right. Well, you'll survive. I think maybe, maybe we'll see. And then we also have Pete V2XPL. Show, show a little mercy for the poor woman. She's sickly. <laughs> she made you chicken soup when you were sick or some reasonable facsimile, I'm sure. No, yeah, no. no, she didn't. So, and she even admitted <laughs> to it. So there you go. No, no. <laughs> no. All right. So anyway, we're finally back. We can do another episode of the show and, and all of the fans who have been wondering where the hell we've been will now have the answer. We're back. Yay. I was right. It has been a month and a half since we've done a show. Well, right, because we were supposed to do it on the second, which would have been two weeks from the one before it. Yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the last That's one we did was October 19th, so. Yep. Seriously? It's been that long? Yeah, it has it's been, been that, that long. long. And and look what happened. Everything's degenerating. You're, like, injecting turkeys with, I don't know, what kind of drugs. <laughs> Butter. Diabetic turkeys. Butter. <laughs> oh, if, if anyone wants to get into a debate about GMOs, I'm, I'll take you on. No, we're not uh, right. getting into that discussion tonight. All right, if you insist. I'll come on. <laughs> no, let, let's go ahead and do uh, let's do a story. How about that? We, we start off with amateur radio topics on our program. And uh, since Pete's unprepared and has a crappy new microphone, we'll let you do the first one. ARRL event to mark National Parks Service Centennial. I'll take that. That's a pretty cool one. Considering I used to live in a national park for about 10 years uh, in my past life, uh, I think that's very good. In 2016, the National Park Service, uh, NPS, will celebrate its 100th anniversary. Ah, very good. Radio Amateur will be able to help mark the occasion with the ARRL National Parks on the Air event. The fun begins at 0000 UTC, January 1st. That's uh, as early as you can get in the year. And uh, the program will have two participation tracks, chasers and activators. Chasers will uh, simply attempt to make contact with operators in as many of the uh, national parks uh, units as possible. And activators will attempt to activate as many of the units as possible. Participants may serve in both roles. So uh, you can be portable operator. Uh, if you're a portable operator, this event is for you. ARRL Media and Public Relations Manager Sean Ketsuo, no, sorry, Kutsko KX9X said, start thinking about how you would incorporate amateur radio into your visit into a national park area. Whether you're camping at Yosemite, uh, driving along the Blue Ridge Parkway, or set up in a corner of Andersonville Prison. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Andersonville Prison is a national park. Uh, interesting. <laughs> you will definitely draw a pileup. Uh, as long as you are on the property of the NPS unit, you will qualify as being in the unit and therefore can, uh, I assume, accumulate points. 
the NPOTA, or the National Parks on the Air event, will use the official list of NPS administrative units and affiliated areas as defined and maintained by NPS. Complete details of the National Parks on the Air events are available, of course, on the ARRL website. And uh, you can uh, see the link on our, uh, in our show notes, or uh, you could uh, just uh, Google it, I guess. Or you can go right to uh, npota.arrl.org, so nationalparksontheair.arrl.org for more information. I think that's pretty cool, actually. That's actually very much like uh, Summits on the Air in the way that they're doing with activators and chasers. Uh, that's kind of neat. I flipped back from the etherpad into the chat room just in time to see Ted say, stuff it with a duck. And that apparently was apropos of something, but it came to me apropos of nothing. So I'm hoping that we can get Ted to make a recording of, of himself saying, stuff it with a duck, so I can uh, put it as a soundbite, because I would love to have that. Well, there's ducks in the National Park, so, you know, there's your segue. Well, right. Absolutely. So anyway, so, uh, if you want how results are generated, uh, leaderboards result, uh, blah blah blah, confirm the logbook of the world uh, can be used for this. So uh, that's pretty cool as well. Sorry, I'm just on the website right now. Yes, I know. I can tell you're at uh, npota.arrl.org. I am. Are you spying on me? I am. Cool. You're not using Tor. See, that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> nope. Oh, that's very good. That actually. Uh, goes into uh, the same um, I don't know how long is it supposed to last I didn't check is it just a one day event I don't know I cut out most of the story of course because we just do snippets here so it uh, says that you can update your log up to January 31st well anyway if you're interested in the information that we weren't able to provide you just go ahead and check out the resources we list those will be in the show notes and uh, hopefully you'll be able to find out when the thing ends I assume it's going to end sometime I'm assuming I mean, you know, soda just kind of goes on and on and on. <laughs> well, right. <clears throat> this this seemed like a specific event, however, which means it probably has an end date. While you all are looking for that, I'll just move <laughs> on to the next story, which is uh, new, quote-unquote, worldwide amateur radio band approved. And this is not a new band, because folks who have uh, been in amateur radio for a little while will know that this band already exists, and it's already accessible to amateur radio operators around the world. However... A worldwide radio communication conference has been going on in Geneva, Switzerland since November 2nd. It concluded a few days ago on November 27th. Uh, during the conference, discussion of the 60-meter band was discussed. Uh, the 60-meter band, as folks might know, is in the 5 megahertz area. Uh, it's an important allocation because it provides propagation for radio signals that can fill in a gap of which band to select for certain distances at various times of day and night. The International Amateur Radio Union went into the WRC-15 conference hoping to win a worldwide band in this frequency range and had been working with their various country delegations to convince them to support such a band. It is not easy to convince the ITU member nations to add a new allocation for amateur radio. On November 18th, the exciting news came out of Geneva that the conference delegates had approved a worldwide allocation of 5351.5 to 5365.5 kilohertz. The new allegation, <coughs> allegation, the new allocation includes a power restriction to 15 watts PEP because the amateur radio allocation is a secondary allocation on this band. The 15 watt power restriction is a significant drop in power from the current limit of 50 watts, 
but it will be a worthwhile trade-off to gain the worldwide allocation. It may take the FCC and most other countries up to several years to implement these new regulations. There's a a little bit of a trade-off there. You lose some output power, but you do gain an entire contiguous part of the spectrum in the 60-meter band, whereas before we were in the uh, United States only allocated, I think it was five base channels. And apparently this will go into effect worldwide, so amateur radio operators worldwide will be able to contact each other uh, in the 60-meter band at some point. Not not yet, but soon. Uh, nice. This this came from the Norwich Bolton, by the way, and a link to the full story, of course, uh, will be in the show notes. So this is very cool. More more spectrum is good for amateur radio. Yeah, on the Radio Amateurs of Canada website, I saw the same story, and uh, here the changes are tentatively expected to be effective on uh, January 1st, 2017. So still have a little bit more than a year to wait before we can play there. Well, you can still play on the 60-meter band, uh, presumably, in in the five channels, at least in the United yes. States. I don't know about uh, the rest of the world, how they allocate 60 meters at the moment. Just remember, when it goes worldwide, that your power output limitation drops from 50 to 15. See, and that's a good way to test your QRP skills. Yeah, this is going to become like a really popular QRP band, I can imagine. Speaking of QRP, actually, um, and, and Facebook, I uh, recently joined a group that's called uh, Ham Radio Go Kits. For those of you on the go, uh, you can uh, Facebook Ham Radio Go Kits, and there's a lot of little QRP kits that have been put together in all kinds of innovative little cases. So to get ready for your foray into the 60-meter band at uh, 15 watts. Cool. Of course, most people who are like serious QRPers would consider 15 watts extremely QRO. Yes. <laughs> Yelling. <laughs> 15 watts. 15 watts. Who needs 15 watts? If you can't do it on 15 milliwatts, then you're just not doing it right. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Getting back to uh, National Parks on the Air for one second. Uh, okay. The contest runs all year. All right. Sorry. Well, Cheryl was like sitting forward in her chair. She was going to announce the news that it's actually a year-long project. Okay, well, you race me and just let's have Cheryl do it. Yeah, yeah. no. That's okay, because she can read the next story no. since, since you're all prepared. Okay. And I won't make you do anything else until the very end. Okay. Well, right. I never get to do anything else anyway. So the hell you don't. You get to read all kinds of stuff. Plus, you're the, the queen of Google. Oh, speaking of which, has anyone bothered to look at the About Us page? on lhspodcast.info if you have not done so do so not now lately. i'm going to do that now yes if and, and for all our listeners and cheryl who's sitting across from me who obviously hasn't seen it yet <laughs> no <laughs> now she's afraid yeah kind of nice whatever oh <laughs> 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 uh, very good i like it you have a, like an Amish flavor to you. Yeah, that's why I, I was wondering about that. <laughs> but look what he wrote. You are Russ's significant other and the light of his life. That makes up for everything. Okay, whatever. That's true. And you're winner of the Audience Choice Award. Best yeah, segment. yeah I, I'm kind of curious about that. Not sure when a, those votes came in. But... A trophy or at least like a check? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> I never asked you, Cheryl. Do you have a call sign? No. You're not You're not licensed, eh? No. Okay. That's what I should shown as YL, so... Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I was curious about. I, I was just wondering. Yeah, or much to just... Russell's dismay, I am not licensed, so... November, zero, Charlie, Alpha, Lima, Lima. 
So back, anyway, well, back b- to before news. we get to the news here, I just wanted to say that there was a there's a standing rule that I made up like a year ago or something that if you're going to be on the About Us page as a member of the, the LHS team, you had to submit a picture with a hat and beard. So, as you can see, every picture there, the the person has a hat and a beard. That is a requirement. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It's a requirement. You have to have a picture with a hat and beard. And none of us even ever don't even look like this anymore. That's very true. Yes, your beard's coming in nicely. So, Cheryl. Thanks. (laughs) Remind me to get to the beauty shop then. All right. right, Now we can get back to the story. Okay. All right. So, last story in this segment. Oregon House leader of state amateur radio service. Uh, the cut comes after Vince Vanderhyde asked volunteers not to take part in a recent emergency drill. Oregon has an agreement with amateur radio enthusiasts to provide a backup systems of communications in the event of natural disasters or other breakdowns in communication systems. That system was scheduled to be tested during a drill last week. Vanderhyde said in a letter to the state that its equipment was in disarray, volunteers were not given enough time to prepare, and the state doesn't have operational control of the service. The Oregon Office of Emergency Management issued a statement confirming the end of the relationship with Vander Hyde, but stressed as not cutting ties with the amateur radio group. And this was obtained from opb.org. Yeah, which I'm not actually, I, I've forgotten already what the opb.org site is, but I thought this was interesting because we talk about, um, you know, emergency communications quite a bit on the show and, this is the first thing I've seen reported that, that sort of negatively impacts emergency communications. But it sounds to me like, or I was wondering, like, what the what the official relationship between the state of Oregon was with this particular amateur radio group. Because it sounds like it was almost uh, state-sponsored or state-sanctioned. And I'm not sure if that's something that happens generally around, you know, the United States or, or anywhere else. Because... Uh, I'm not aware of uh, any other formal links between amateur radio operators and governments. Uh, is this something that happens in Canada that you know of, Pete? Not that I, not that I'm aware of. That's very strange indeed. And and the idea of the state ousting the this guy. I mean, what does that mean even? Well, especially since he supplies, you know, some sort of emergency communications support or system. Maybe he just pissed someone off. I'm not sure. Does it, it doesn't go into a backstory at all? Or? It doesn't really go into a backstory. There is more story at the link that will be in the show notes, but not really. It doesn't really explain. It doesn't explain what the state means by they ousted him and and what that entails or why really that they did it. It says he's the head of the Oregon Amateur Radio Emergency Service. Well, not not if they ended the relationship with him. <laughs> But stressed, okay, so it says, the Oregon Emergency Office statement confirming the end of the relationship, but stressed that it's not cutting ties with the amateur radio group. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah, exactly. I'm not even sure what that means, because I'm, again, not aware of any formal ties between state governments and amateur radio associations, at least not in my experience. So I'm not sure what this is even about, but... I'm, I'm reading his termination letter now. Oh, yes, I just clicked on it. Ooh, juicy. <laughs> well, somebody they usually keep it like you know very politically correct though they won't say that he kind of fondled the president's daughter or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it it says uh, this letter was to him, and the letter is from the state communications officer for emergency management, who is also a ham radio operator. And it says your membership in the OEM Amateur Radio Errors Unit is terminated. So, Oh, he was part of Aries. Uh-huh. Oh, so he, was, he got kicked out of Aries? I didn't even know that could happen. I thought that was volunteer. Well, you can get kicked out of volunteer. I mean, I've run volunteer organizations, and I've kicked people out. Well, it sounds to me, though, that he uh, he might have had some legitimate concerns. I mean, I don't think he was refusing refusing to participate in the drill out of simple desire to refuse the drill. Well, here you go. Your refusal to support this exercise and your directions to the amateur radio unit members not to participate is completely unacceptable. So obviously he tried to get some people uh, to rally behind him to boycott this event for some reason. Well, perhaps so, but maybe maybe their MCOM system is in such disarray that it was worth boycotting. Who knows? Yeah, it says the Aries Manual dated March 2015 by the ARRL states clearly in Chapter 2... Requirements of an Aries unit, Aries members, Aries emergency coordinators, and Aries section emergency coordinators, and what their role and participation is during a races drill, exercise, or activation. As the acting EC for the OEM amateur radio unit and the Oregon SEC, or yeah, SEC, you have imposed yourself between the Oregon offices of emergency management and the registered races volunteers who are part of the OEM's volunteer program by directing them to not participate in this exercise. This is in direct contradiction of what the Aries Manual states regarding responsibilities to your served agency. He's a rebel. He is. Yeah. Boy, there aren't many of those in Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you. Down with OPB. Yeah, you know me. (laughs) Oh, God. The whitest rapper in the universe. (laughs) Oh yeah, well you can't get no whiter than me. <laughs> That's very true. Yo. <laughs> not not only a white guy, but a Canadian white guy. Yeah, exactly. just a, <laughs> you're practically luminescent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know the lack of sun up here. I've got a lot of sun in our igloos, so I'm pretty. <laughs> machine. 
And this can be a remote Linux machine that either has an X server or does not have an X server. It doesn't require one because the X2Go server provides the remote X part of the equation, so you don't need it. Uh, it implements a remote desktop protocol that is an open source remote desktop protocol, not the Microsoft version, and basically does the same thing, which I thought was kind of interesting because it separates you from the Microsoft technology. This says it allows you to do this over both low and high bandwidth connections. And it was related to the person who asked the question in the context of getting a remote desktop on like a DigitalOcean droplet or a remote VPS. That would be a, a great use case for this. Uh, but they also have uh, some basic features they define here on their website, such as uh, the ability to disconnect and reconnect sessions, even from another client. You can also have multiple clients connecting to multiple X desktops at the same time. You can also do desktop sharing. You can have shared sessions uh, among different users across different machines if you want to uh, show someone an application or something like that or doing remote support. That's a, a nice feature. You can do Citrix, Metaframe, or Zen app or presentation server-like published apps. You can have like a shortcut on your desktop, which launches a remote desktop application on a remote server and presents its X desktop screen to yours as if you were local to it. It also supports the Windows RDP. It has thin client environments, session brokering, desktop sharing. Like I, like I said, it supports multiple desktops, including Cinnamon, Gnome, KDE, Mate, almost anything you'd be doing, Enlightenment. Uh, there were a few others, I think, that were listed. Uh, so it supports all of those. Open source technology, I did not take the time to look up the license let me see if i can find the license here real quick before we move on put your licenses where we can find them people sounds like they're related to the arrl oh <laughs> oh <laughs> but anyway uh if you're looking for remote desktop access to a client a remote vps an embedded system something like that and you don't want to use Microsoft's RDP or XRDP or something like that, or the straight-up X connection, which usually has a pretty poor performance over low bandwidth connections, you might want to try X2Go, X2GO. In the chat room, good, we can always rely on the chat room. Steve, KD0IJP, posted a link. Apparently it's GPL, mostly GPL2+, some components AGPL, some MIT X11 and BSD. But uh, generally speaking, the code written for X2Go is GPL and AGPL. So there you go. Truly open source. Copy left. Gotta love it. And apparently the parts that aren't are MIT and BSD, which are not copy left, but they're very open license. So that's very cool. So thanks again to Steve in the chat room, KD0IJP, for uh, finding that in the in the wiki so we could report it to you. That's all I had on that. And the next one's an actual story that someone can read. So who wants to read what, this one? Because this is a very cool story. I can't, I am so happy. And since Cheryl's like, no, no, I'm doing, I'm doing my part. But since you were complaining about like pneumonia or whatever it is that your problem is, don't yes. I sound sympathetic? <laughs> we'll let Pete do it. Come on, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. All right. I'll give Cheryl a break so she can cough out her lung. <laughs> 
Raspberry Pi announces the $5 Zero mini computer. This is pretty cool. I was reading this story earlier. Starting today, shops and news agents are stocking a computer magazine called the Magpie. And as the world's first, this magazine comes with a free computer literally stuck to the front cover. It's the newest Raspberry Pi released called the Pi Zero. And it goes on sale around the world for just $5. Hmm, that's interesting because, you know, $5 isn't worth the same all around the world. So maybe if I buy it in the U.S., it'll cost me more than if I go buy it in Costa Rica. Pi Zero is a tiny device and contains the first-generation Raspberry Pi's BCM2835 chip, safely overclocked to 1 gigahertz. Pi Zero packs the same great GPU as the regular Raspberry Pi. Comes with uh, 512 megabytes of RAM. It runs Linux, of course, and runs all the programs and applications any other Pi would. You can run a media center, teach programming with it, learn to make music. And it fits on your keyring. That's the coolest part. To get up and running, all you need with the new Pi Zero is a micro SD, uh, which you can load with uh, Noobs or Raspbian, a mini HDMI interface cable, micro USB adapter or hub, micro USB power cable, USB keyboard and mouse, and an HDMI monitor. So you've just jumped from $5 to about 176 <laughs> Alternatively, well, you know, you probably have all that stuff lying around the house anyways. Right. Alternatively, you can prepare your micro SD um, card using a regular Raspberry Pi. You set your code to run on boot, stick your card into the zero, and as soon as it has power, your program will be running. Uh, it's a great way to deploy code to an embedded project, or you can also connect the zero via SSH or VNC over wired or wireless connections and control it from another computer. So that's from uh, opensource.com. You can read that story uh, on our uh, webpage in the show notes. And I think that's very cool. Uh, Raspberry Pi has been uh, the precursors in making computing accessible to pretty much everyone and with a five dollar mini computer who could go wrong and to boot you get a magazine to read on top of that well absolutely (laughs) you buy a computer get a free magazine there you go (laughs) i mean that's really what it is i mean you know it's kind of interesting so uh, just you know the magazine would regularly cost you five bucks just on its own so I kind of gather from the story here that it has the same spec as the Raspberry Pi A model. It's just smaller and cheaper, and it doesn't have quite the number of interfaces on it that the other one did because you you need the USB hub uh, to be able to plug in your keyboard and mouse and all that kind of things because there's not enough actual physical real estate to plug in all of these connectors. But it does have... Uh, micro SD for power, micro micro SD for distributing a, the USB bus, and it has an HDMI port for actual video. But that's it. You know, they have a picture of this thing on the website, um, and it's about a fifth the size of a five dollar bill. Well, of any bill really, because they're all the same size. But <laughs> they have a five dollar bill next to it, and uh, you could uh, horizontally fit about five of these along the five dollar bill. So it's it's tiny for sure. I wonder if these are going to be like Lay's potato chips, because surely no one's going to order one, right? I mean, if you're going to buy these, you're going to buy like a dozen of them. For five bucks, you can buy as many as you want. Yeah, pretty much. I, I would love to find the person who bought just one of them. Because I have to imagine that anywhere you might buy them from, you're probably going to pay like $8 in shipping. 
So but what are you going to do with all the magazines? Well, I kind of gather you don't have to buy the magazine. <laughs> well, if it's stuck to the front cover. In the UK, the Magpie can be found at WH Smith's, Sainsbury's, Tesco, costs £5.99 and comes with a Pi Zero for free. Yeah, see, that comes with the magazine there. You can buy a magazine online. Alternatively, the Pi Zero itself is available to buy from the usual distributors. There you go. So you can just buy it on its own without right. the magazine if you can't read. Which, which brings up, I'm not a, I'm not a student of uh, economics by any means, but they're saying it's six do- or six pounds uh, in yeah. the UK. So, does six pounds in the UK is that the same as five dollars in the United States? No, 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 no. Don't. Yeah, no, 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 no. Cheryl's shaking her head, and, and, and you're saying the same thing. But I'm not sure you're understanding my question. If you do the exchange, it's obviously not the same. If you were to buy it in the UK for six dollars, it would cost. If you were to buy that same thing from some from a retailer in the U.S., it would cost you like I don't know, twelve or thirteen dollars or something like that because of the exchange rate. But uh-huh. what I'm saying is, does six pounds in the U.K. can you buy in the U.K. the same thing for six pounds that you can buy in the U.S. for six dollars? I'm, you know what I'm saying? Probably not, especially if you're in London. Well, but no, I understand what you're asking, and I, I think possibly. What I'm saying is, if like, if it costs us four dollars for a gallon of milk, is it four pounds for a gallon of milk in the UK? Well, I'm going on because I deal with people that live in Europe, or you know, specifically like London and that area in the cake world, and we talk about prices of butter here versus the prices of butter there, and it's about the same. And that's what I'm so, thinking. I think that I think the rate if you're if you're talking about within the country and not doing the exchange, if you're not figuring the exchange rate, I think the the base is the same. Like it'll like if if the unit of measurement is the peso or the pound or the euro or the dollar or the Australian dollar or the Deutsche Mark or whatever the hell it is. I mean, it should be like a gallon of milk is four dollars or four pounds or four Deutsche Marks or four euros or you, you know what I'm saying. And, and I don't know that that's the case or not, because I don't know economics. So I was just curious. Well, a gallon of milk will cost you uh, five and a half pounds. Well, I guess we can ask <laughs> you, Pete, because you use the Canadian dollar, which is obviously not the American dollar. How much How much in Canadian money is a gallon of milk? Um, a gallon of milk costs, depending on the quality of the milk, anywhere from six to eight dollars. Six to eight Canadian dollars. Yes. So. A gallon. So is it cheaper to buy milk in America? For me, it is. Absolutely. Okay. Depending on the exchange rate, there's quite a few things. Dairy products in general are quite a bit cheaper in the U.S. And a lot of us migrate. Those of us fortunate enough to live close to the border will occasionally uh, migrate into the U.S. for one day and you know go get a taco and at the same time do some groceries. There's a lot of stuff we can't bring back. Um, those things change. So recently of late we're not allowed to bring raw chicken across for some reason uh, i think it has to do with the bird flu but yeah, well, yeah we everything here is wiped out by the bird flu so i guess it, it does not translate then i guess my theory is that so, it, it doesn't actually work because like we would say say in the united states the median income is like thirty five thousand dollars a year you know, is the median income in Canada $35,000 a year? You know, do apartments cost $500 a month? Is it... Well, it so, all depends on where you live. Yeah, and that's the same way in the United States. The market. It's the same, yeah. So if you live in the city, 
things are more expensive, you tend to make more money as a general rule. Not everybody does. You know, it's just, we're talking about London. Well, London is a very expensive city to live, to buy, uh, etc. Generally, people probably make more money. The average guy probably has to commute like five hours to get into London to work, just like you would in New York City or Los Angeles, right? I don't know. Apparently, economics is hard. It is. I actually failed it in college. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Well, that's good to know. I'm good at math, so... I don't feel bad anymore. The medium total income by family is, on average, roughly around $60,000 here in Canada. That's family income, not individual. Right. Yeah, it might be the same here. I don't know. Again, we're not going to get into a deep discussion of economics, because clearly I and probably the rest of us don't have any idea what we're talking about. And I'm just realizing here that I need to change provinces. <laughs> Quebec's not good enough. Quebec sucks. In Quebec, the average medium family income is $70,000. If I went to the Northwest Territories, I could up that to 106000 But you'd be living in the Northwest Territories. That's the trade-off. I actually, I would like that personally, <laughs> but uh, my, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in my entourage who wouldn't. My children would hate it, and at the same time, milk there probably cost one hundred and six thousand dollars to buy. So, Dad, my best friend's a moose. <laughs> so things are much more expensive in that area. So. Right. Yeah, and I'm sure that's the same the world over. I digress. Well, the, my my thinking was: is five dollars in the U.S. the same as six pounds in the U.K.? And clearly, it's not. So. Um, to say that this is a $5 computer is a little misleading, I think. Well, it is a $5 computer if, you know, this is a story from the United States. So here it's a $5 computer. Right. If it's, you know, sold in Canada as a $5 computer, that's fine too. There's not a huge difference. I think, I think the exchange right now is around 30%. So, you know, you're talking maybe six bucks here if, if that's what it would be. I don't know why $5. I don't know where the $5 came from because I'm trying to see that from, you know, the magazine's called the Magpie. It's called the uh, Raspberry Pi Zero. Why isn't it free? Or why don't <laughs> birds deliver it? <laughs> why, why, aren't they, why don't they come on Amazon drones? I mean. <laughs> Good. That would be cool, actually. And you get to keep the drone. That's right. Because it's run by Linux. Yeah, one pound is the equivalent of $1.50 in the U.S., well, that that has fluctuated many times over the years because I know when I well, was right younger, now. it was over two dollars uh, a pound. Was over two dollars U.S. It just depends on the strength of the currency. But uh-huh. I, I was trying to eliminate the exchange rate and just say, is, if you compare apples to apples, like if you're if you're speaking only of the United States or only of the United Kingdom, are they equivalent? But apparently, they're not. So, and now we break from economics in the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So anyway, those were our open source topics for the night. So let's jump into a couple of Linux in the Ham Shack topics. There's a couple of things that I tried out today. Unfortunately, I didn't get all of the way through them. Well, I got all the way through one, but not all the way through the other one. So let's let's do the one I got all the way through first. This is something I believe we brought up in the last episode, or it might have been the one before that. But this was the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend, uh, which was something I mentioned, or has been mentioned on the show. So I decided to give it a try today because you can actually download it as an ISO, a live ISO, which also has a built-in installer. And I just wanted to see how this would work uh, in a virtual machine environment or if it would work on uh, some machine you happen to download or had uh, an ISO image of that you could run or if you uh, wanted to install it on a computer or not and use it in your ham shack, would it be a decent option for you? 
And it turns out that it really would be, especially if you're a Debian type user, if you uh, like Ubuntu or Debian or Mint or, or one of those. I know earlier on in the program, we were hyping Mint quite a bit uh, because it had a lot of features built into it that you couldn't get in Debian. And Debian's philosophy is still to remain truly open source. It doesn't allow for proprietary codecs and stuff like that. But it's so easy to add those in anymore that I would I wouldn't necessarily urge someone to use Ubuntu or Mint over Debian just because Debian gives you so many options anymore. But the Debian Pure Blend is basically just a distribution that's put out. It's uh, currently in an unofficial status by the maintainers of the Debian ham radio packages. So what they did was they rolled up a bunch of meta packages and then they installed all of those meta packages into a live ISO that you can run on a VM or from a DVD or however you want to run it. And it has all of the ham radio packages that are available to Debian pre-installed. I ran this thing in a virtual machine environment and I actually tried to do the install, but I found out in doing so that I actually did not have enough disk space to do the install. You need about 20 gigs uh, to do the full install. And the virtual machine partition that I had did not actually have that much space in it. So the installer crashed. But I was able to run it in its live form without any trouble. And right out of the box, I had a full Debian install with a GNOME desktop and access to every ham radio package that I had ever seen or ever used, plus about 200 that I had never seen and never used. Um, And unfortunately, because that's on a different machine, I can't tell you all of the ones that I had never seen before. There were antenna modelers. There were SDR programs that I had never seen before, like Qt SDR was one that I uh, comes to mind. Uh, and then there was all the stuff that you're familiar with, like FLDG and Zaster and CQR log and pretty much anything you can think of was there. And it was already set up and ready to go uh, straight out of the box right after just booting up. No installation required. And so if you had a system, uh, particularly a portable system, like a laptop, you wanted to use a field day or something like that, or even if you just wanted to run it live in your ham shack on, on a VM, you could you could do this thing. From what I saw, I would highly recommend it. And I'm actually going to give this another shot. I was actually looking earlier for buying a new hard drive because the hard drive that's in my machine is only like 200 gig or 250 gig or something like that. And I've uh, completely wiped that out. So I need way more storage. And as soon as I do that, I'm going to do the install and go through all of the apps and probably talk about a few of them because if nothing else, this is a great resource for finding out all of the ham radio apps you never knew were out there um, because somebody on the Debian team is maintaining them and they're in the distribution and you don't necessarily know what you're looking for if you don't know what it's called or you don't know what it is or you don't know that you're actually looking for it, but it's probably included in this distribution. And uh, if you're a big fan of Debian or pure Debian as I am, this is a really cool way to go. So the way you can get this is go to debian.org slash blends slash ham radio. And there's basically a wiki page there, uh, which has a bunch of information and links to the ISOs to download and information on, on doing the installation. And it also has a list of the meta packages so that if you didn't want to do this necessarily uh, as an ISO image, you can download it. What the hell just happened? Apparently, Pete's expensive microphone did him in. The person whom you're trying to reach 
is currently unavailable. Please leave a message after the beep. Pete, where the hell are you? Pete, answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Well, apparently Canada went down. Pete says he's in a victim of a power failure, and he's in the dark. But somehow he's still on Skype, so... Hello. Hello. Are you still in the dark? Oh, yeah. I'm on my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, your cell phone's not picking up all the noise like your microphone is. Uh, oh, that's good. Sounds like... Uh, I'm, I'm actually at 14%, so I'm not actually going to last. Technically, this shouldn't last too long. Technically? Well, power failures don't like last hours like in the days of old. Usually, anyway. <laughs> I'm taking this advantage to floss. <laughs> I had nothing better to do. <laughs> and and it, you can't pick up the noise because there's no noise to be picked up. Well, that's very true. You actually sound as good on your cell phone as you did with your headset. Oh, that's good. Glad to hear that. Unfortunately, I don't have the, uh, the bandwidth plan to do a two-hour show, but I can <laughs> hang out for a bit. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let, let me just wrap up real quick on the thing I was doing. Uh, so anyway, if you want to check out the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend, the link, of course, will be in the show notes. It's definitely worth giving it a try, especially if you have a low-powered laptop or something that would easily run Debian, because it usually only requires less than a gig of memory and about 20 gigs of hard drive space. So it'll run on most anything. Uh, and it, like I said, it comes with all of the uh, Ham Radio software that's in the package repositories installed by default which includes everything you know and way more than that that you're not aware of. So give that a shot. Did you just open a, a, a ginger beer or something? Nope, just jiggling some wires. Oh, okay. I have a flashlight. You can hear my flashlight. See, this is my flashlight. The back, it's got like this little jiggly thing. And this is it going on. I don't know. Ted says your audio is wow. Ted says your audio's a lot better now. Well, maybe I should do this for my cell phone. I have to, have to upgrade my plan to unlimited. I only have a one gigabyte plan. Oh, good grief. We yeah. have 10 and barely make it. <laughs> I don't really use a lot of data. My phone is actually used for a phone, and sometimes I text. I'm old school. Wow. You actually use your phone for a phone? I know. It's weird. It's amazing. That's Canadians, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete's in the dark, and hopefully your power comes back on soon. But let me go ahead and hit, so. hit, hit our next topic, which is actually... One that was suggested by a listener, and unfortunately, I was while we were trying to figure out where Pete went, I was looking to see where this uh, came from. I know the gentleman's name is Dan, and I'm trying to find where it was here. Hang on one second. Let me see if I can I can dig it up, because I want to give credit where credit is due here. It's the Faux Time Podcast, which they have been good about plugging us, so we should plug them. AmateurRadio15.com, the Faux Time Podcast. If you're not listening to them, go listen to them. Good stuff. But not right now. Keep listening to yeah, us. Yeah, but, but not right now, yeah. After the show's done, then you can go listen to them. <laughs> All you want. You should also, you should also listen to uh, Sunday Morning Linux Review. I, I had a promo for that at the beginning of the last episode. I heard that. You know what I listened to today? What'd you listen to today? The last episode. Of? Linux in the Half Shack. Oh, oh of, of us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty exciting. I hadn't. Uh, I, I must admit, I don't have time to listen to us all the time. I have to be careful here. I'm moving around in the dark, and I'm going to crash into something. Um, and uh, yeah, I decided to listen to us for once uh, while I was at work, and uh, we don't sound that bad. 
<laughs> no, I, I I like to think we sound okay. I'm going to have to listen to myself again to see like what the difference is between my fancy new microphone and my cheap-ass three-year-old cell phone. You, you might be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm almost afraid. I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, I will say cell that... Phone. It's actually I'm two years old, and it's a uh, Galaxy, so... Yeah, that's kind of where we are at. All right, so I, I can't find the, the thing here. Actually, wait a minute. I think I had it in my email. I would feel bad if I didn't give the person proper credits. Uh, hopefully, I didn't delete it already, which I probably did. See, that's how this, this kind of stuff goes. It's like, oh, I know where it is. Oh, I already deleted it. Yeah, I already deleted it, So, but I will find it. Anyway, I know I know his name is Dan, but he he was telling uh, someone or us on the Linux in the Hamshack Google Plus community, I believe, about a contest logger for Linux, which is interesting because this actually wasn't a Linux project originally. It was a DOS project, but it was rewritten and released for Linux. It's called TR Log, uh, Tango Romeo Log. It was written by November 6, Tango Romeo, and 6TR. It does uh, have a Linux version now. You can build it from source. Um, I actually was trying to get through the build process but I didn't have all of the necessary dependencies on my machine, so I was in the process of adding those dependencies before the show cropped up, and I didn't get a chance to finish. Uh, But Dan said that he was using it and that it worked properly. The only thing he did not have working was rig integration, but it supports rig integration, presumably through Hamlib. He just did not have that particular feature operational. Uh, but according to the website, which is uh, www.kkn.net, that's kilo kilo november.net stroke tr linux, uh, it says this is a Linux port of N6TR, STR log ham radio contest logger software. Uh, most the DOS features work under Linux. It has WinKeyer support. It has uh, Yankee Charlie 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 SO2R box support. Uh, USB serial ports work just like any other serial port. It has Telnet packet support, multi-op networking using wired or wireless networks, uh, audio file transmit for phone operation, and it's licensed as GPL version 2. So that's very cool. It's also currently under active development. Uh, The latest revision of this was released on the 15th of November, just a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, version 0.44, and it's apparently maintained by Kevin Whiskey Nine Charlie Foxtrot. Uh, and there's an email address and all that stuff on uh, the website that I just gave you. There's a documentation page, which you can find at the same place. Uh, there's links on the left-hand side, which uh, show you how to go through, how to build it, uh, how to build it a uh, for a USB flash drive operation if you're going to use it in a uh, portable way. Dan said he used this in a recent contest and that it works perfectly well for him. Like I said, with the uh, only the lack of uh, radio integration that wasn't supported in his particular. Oh, there we go. Hello. Oh, we have video too. Hi, Pete. Power just came back. Yay! I'm brushing my teeth. Yeah, we we can see you. Do you want us to see you? Oh, there we go. He turned off his video. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see that the power came back. Oh, okay, cool. Glad to see that the power came back. Apparently, he just dropped off again. Recording a podcast is so much fun. So anyway, hopefully I'll be able to piece all of this Badger. together uh, 
in post and, and actually put together a, a, a podcast, a podcast? That, that, that sounds like something. So anyway, check out, uh, well, I was saying that Dan had actually tried this in a recent contest and that it worked really well for him. The only thing he didn't have was the rig integration. But other than that, it was a solid contest logger. And of course, it is Linux native, uh, ported over from DOS. So that's very cool. Uh, documentation, recent release, all good things. Well-maintained. Uh, there's even information on how to contact them for support if you're having issues uh, with the build uh, or with features of the application. So check out trlog if you want to use a contest logger built native for Linux. You can find that at kkn.net stroke trlinux. And we have links to the documentation and other stuff that will be in the show notes. So uh, give that one a try, and uh, we're going to wait here to see if we get Pete back before we move on. I wonder if he lost power again. I get to see a really gangly, bald guy brushing his teeth. It's something I could have dealt with maybe on a different day. I'm not sure. He's going to get that voicemail I left him a month from now. He's going to be like, well, what the hell was that about? Please leave a message. Yep. Well, sorry, folks. This is the trials and tribulations of trying to record a podcast with a Canadian. You know how it can be. I would give them all a territory north of the 49th parallel, and look what they do with it. I guess I should try calling him again. Although it seems like if there was, you know, power in his part of the world, he would call us. I hear something, but it's not Pete. We want to hear the uh, Jeopardy theme. Okay, so uh, that's all we have for our first three segments for the evening, and we're going to move on to music. And tonight we have a local musician, one we've uh, recently come to know. His name is Barrick Hill, and uh, he has a brand new album that has just recently come out. I was uh, able to get in and fund his Kickstarter to do the new album, All the Empty Space, which is going to be released in just a few days, as I understand it. December 18th. Yep, December 18th. So what we're going to do is uh, play one of his older tracks. This is one of the ones that I I really enjoy, uh, especially when he does it live. So this is uh, a good one. And uh, if you want to check him out, you can find him at www.barrickhill.com. That's B-A-R-A-K-H-I-L-L.com. He's a Roots Rock slash Americana singer-songwriter. He's from Springfield, Missouri, plays in Springfield about eight times a week. Tonight. So, yeah, like tonight. Yeah. So <laughs> he's really easy to see, especially if, especially if you're in the area. Uh, he's put out several albums before, and like I said, uh, he's got a brand new one coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, I asked him earlier tonight if it was okay if we played one of his tracks, and he was like, hell yes, play one of my tracks, and uh, let me know where I can hear it. So we're going to do that. This is one off of his album called Wheels Don't Roll from last year. Uh, It's a song we actually heard him perform live uh, just the other night at a local bar. It's uh, called Birmingham, and here it is. (laughs) 
On my way to Birmingham I kissed Austin goodbye Take 20, it's a straight shot Leave them hard roads behind Spent my last night in Texas Now I've crossed that Louisiana state line Shreveport to Jackson With sunset in my rearview mirror Got six hours behind me and seven still to go before I'm there Monroe looks like a fine town I'd stop and sleep if only you were here song called Birmingham by Barrick Hill with a very fine assist I must say on the violin from Molly Healy and uh, the new album is a little bit uh, jazzier than that one I guess Uh, his first few were all um, acoustic sets uh, with him on harmonica vocals and guitar with a few friends doing additional instrumentation and the new album All the Empty Space is done with a full band so there's uh, some electric instruments and all, and all that in there but uh he's an excellent songwriter uh and some really good stuff and very very listenable he's a very uh personable guy and he loves to play because he plays all the time so it's uh really cool to get on and be able to see all that stuff live so thanks to barrack hill for letting us play that one for him and thanks to uh, molly healy and uh let's see who else was listed on that album we had uh Kevin Cott, uh, Dallas Jones, and Brandon Moore, uh, also on on that recording from uh, 2014. 
With that, we don't have any feedback because we've been away from the game far too long. So, you know what? The rest of the show is all yours sitting over there from us. Since uh, Pete's gone, this is a good thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because he only had, you know, 14% or whatever left on his phone. So, right. I'm sure, at this point, he said, oh, forget it, I'm going to bed. So, he might have done, yes. Yes. Oh, well, I understand completely. So, anyway, so I guess we're down to recipe corner time. Yes, we are. Yay. Yay. So, the recipe that I picked this week is for fried rice. And for those of you that have never made it before, the true secret to fried rice is to use leftover rice. Because once rice has been refrigerated, it kind of dries out a little bit. Therefore, your finished product will be more crisp and crunchy. The nice thing about fried rice is you can add anything to it. You know, it's a it's a great leftover rejuvenator type meal. Right now, which uh, we hadn't have sucked down all the uh, ham from Thanksgiving dinner, we could have had ham fried rice tomorrow. But, oh well. Anyway, to make a good fried rice, you need some vegetable oil, some white rice. I always use uh, frozen carrots and peas in mine. Green onions, some soy sauce, some chicken broth. Some black pepper and eggs, of course, because that makes it especially yummy. Heat everything in a a skillet. You add your rice, stir-fry it, add your veggies, stir-fry it, add your meat, stir-fry it, you know. So it's just a a quick and easy meal, and of course the recipe will be in the show notes. So I think Russ likes my fried rice. I I do like your fried rice quite a bit. It's very good, especially the egg. you got to have the egg in it. That's what makes it. Well, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, crunchy is better than soggy, so definitely definitely. go for the used rice. Yeah, used rice is always good. (laughs) Cool. So with that, we'll uh, get on to our social media roundup. Yeah, I hear I have a whole bunch of people Yeah, there's quite a few people this time. Starting out with donations and subscriptions, we have Ronald Nesler, Douglas uh, Rader, Dylan Engel, Jeremy Hall, and Scott Pettigrew. For Facebook, we have Joe Walton, Gary Ackeson, T.L. Darnell, Robert Foster, Donna Farron, Steve Stroh, Joe Walton, Paul Sha, Jeremy Runner, Andy Coley, Cowley, Daniel Harrison, uh, Sajad Rizvi. Come on, I want to. I want to hear you do this one. <laughs> <laughs> Ravind Ranath Gazwami. That's pretty good. I would guess that. Ravindranath Goswami. Yes. Yep. Okay. And I'll just tell everybody right now, if I've massacred your name, I'm sorry. So, um, continuing on with the list, Harvey Shane Van Sickle, Christopher Jackson, Jeffrey Wilson, Martin Wade, and Lawrence C. Total. Uh, Google Plus, Gene Sills, uh, <laughs> Sajid Rasby. Uh, David Moore, Hank Billings, Deepak Kumar, and Oracle Frequency Podcast. On Twitter, we had Matt Stace, 2E0DQI, Stephen G. Sanders. Is that your boss? That's him. Wow. Ken Po Joe, Singing Matt, Amateur Radio Guy, and K5CLM. On YouTube, Nikhil uh, Gobel. Uh, joined us. Nobody joined the mailing list, and nobody bought anything. Aww. Aww. Yeah, not, not surprisingly, however. 
People should buy t-shirts. They should buy t-shirts or mugs or clocks or iPad covers or whatever. Yeah, you should go do that. We'll tell you how to do that in a second. So anyway, apparently Pete has left us for the evening, but we're about to leave you all for the evening and we'll probably catch up with you. At least I hope we'll catch up with you in uh, a couple of weeks time anyway. So I'm going to push the outro button, I think, and then we'll uh, get on out of here. So thanks, everybody, who uh, waited out our absence period and tuned in again to episode number 157 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We uh, really appreciate you guys sticking it out while we've had our trials, tribulations, life issues, and so on. If you want to become an LHS ambassador, we highly encourage that. You can visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or Ham Fest. And we love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website. You can post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter. You can leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine LHS show. That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. You can visit our IRC channel, which is LHS Podcast on Freenode Network. There's usually someone hanging out there, often hosts of the show. You can also subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise is offered from Cafe Press at cafepress.com slash LHS Podcast. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ad links on the right-hand column of the web page. That doesn't cost you anything except a little bit of time, and some of that money helps keep the show going. You can listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's Tuesday, 0200 Zulu, 0200 Zulu, since we're back into the non-summertime time. Our recording schedule, countdown timer to the next episode are on the website, and all the information you ever wanted to know about our show you can find at lhspodcast.info. So thank you to our listeners, live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. For everyone who listens, supports the show, sends us feedback, and is just a part of the Linux, ham radio, and open source communities. We love you all. So with that, I'm Russ, K5TUX. Cheryl is right there across from me. Am I? Yes, you are. Okay. And uh, Pete, VE2XPL, is off in La La Land somewhere. But he'll be back hopefully in a couple weeks' time, and we'll see you all then. Good night, folks. This is WCOJ where the static is.